Lord, we bless your name. We thank you so much for your goodness that truly, like we sung about this morning, Lord, because we belong to you, and when we're following you, Lord, we recognize goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives, and we're going to dwell in your house forever. Oh, Lord, what a day that is going to be, but until then, what a work that is left to do. And we pray, Father, that the work of our life, Father, would just be the overspill of our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray today that you'd use your word uh, to continue to the molding process in each one of our lives, Lord, as your plan is to conform us into the image of Jesus, that people would see more of Jesus in us, but not only that, but hear more of Jesus from us. So we bless you, Lord, and we thank you for your living word, and we ask it to do a living word within your church here that you paid for with your own precious blood. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in First Thessalonians if you want to turn there with me. Special thank you to everybody that helped serve yesterday at our men's retreat, everybody that prayed for it, cooked for it, whatever you might have done for it. We just had an amazing time. I mean, all the speakers were phenomenal, anointed by God, just like we, we had asked for, and, and I really believe that it was a time where we were built up, we were challenged, um, and, and hopefully there's some great stuff that take, took place inside of each one of us because we met together in our brotherhood at the feet of our Lord. I want to encourage you that if you uh, didn't make it yesterday, uh, next year, we're probably going to shoot towards the end of February, but it, it's, it's an amazing time just to connect. And I'm telling you what, if you learned anything from COVID and whatever you interpret COVID to be, I have my own interpretation, um, it, it showed us how important fellowship is, how important it is that we gather together. And trust me, that was a satanic plot to shut down the church because there's power when we do this. We remember Thomas was isolated, right, when the other apostles were gathered together and, and, and they got the experience of the resurrected Christ and experienced the peace flooding into their heart, and he missed it because he was out of fellowship. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 today. We'll get back into Genesis at some point. I just wanted to jump into some New Testament teaching for a season. I love this church. This church is an example to us. When I look at this church, it was an afflicted church that were followers of Jesus. It's this afflicted church that was operating in faith, hope, and love. It's this afflicted church that was a church that was an example to the other churches. It was this afflicted church that operated in living faith, and it was this afflicted church that had hearts and eyes focused on the return of their king. I look at this, and I'm reminded that the mega churches of America are not our examples, but the persecuted churches of the world are. Our brothers and sisters in Iran, China, Afghanistan, people who are literally living out the Bible, op offering 
their bodies a living sacrifice, considering it their reasonable service or their act of worship to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I see a lot of that in this church. We saw that last week. One of the things that we need to recognize is that the gospel of Jesus Christ changed them. When Jesus steps into your life, there's no way you can't be changed. Things start to take place on the inside. We remember that it's a Holy Spirit that steps into us. And because the Holy Spirit stepped into them, they stepped away from the things that were unholy. The worship and the idols of the land. All the pagan worship practices that they were involved with. They walked away from that. They turned their back to that and they turned their face to the living God. We remembered about this church, its affliction, the change that the gospel had made in their lives. We're reminded that Paul said that our affliction is but for a moment on the timeline of eternity, but it's working a far more exceedingly weight of glory. It means that, that God is doing something very dense in our life. Something great with substance through our sufferings, through our persecutions, and through our afflictions. And if we're honest, none of us want any of that. But it's the place where we grow. It's a place where God is glorified to a great degree. Remember, Moses chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's what he chose. And I'm telling you, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the reason that he is is because you were a sinner. You had the knowledge that you're a sinner and you knew that he is the Savior. Not a Savior, but the Savior. And when you surrender your life to him, when you're born again of the Holy Spirit, he puts us on a narrow street, not an easy street. If we're doing Christianity right, it ain't going to be easy. Paul told us all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When your light shines, the darkness hates it. I don't see any gray in spiritual warfare. I see either light or darkness. One of the things that, that we've got to recognize here, what, what happened with Paul, is that this guy's ministry was always being discredited by the devil himself. But just like God recruits people for his glory and his work, Satan recruits people for his work. So as Paul would go from town to town, people would come in behind him, and they would try to destroy the work that the Holy Spirit was doing through him. The character of Paul was always under assault. Because the devil knew that if he could discredit Paul, the messenger, then he could discredit the message that changes people's lives and changes people's eternities. But we look at this guy, and he valued what God valued in life. The thing that God values in this world are the souls of people. And he was willing to do and endure whatever he needed to endure to fulfill his life mission to reach whoever he could with the good news of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, his calling was, I'm going to show him the things he must suffer for my sake. 
And I look at that, and I like to avoid suffering. I don't like pain. I don't like struggling. I don't like broken bones, blood, none of that stuff. But as I study the Bible and as I look at the examples and the characters that the Holy Spirit's put before my face, I recognize that there's something linked between suffering and greatness. Suffering and kingdom effectiveness. Who wants to waste their life here when we can invest our life for there? That's the way that this apostle chose to live. So we see this now. Now one of the things we need to remember is that biblical integrity in the ministry is born by the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember what the, when the Holy Spirit's leading your life and we're supposed to keep our lives submitted to him perpetually, ongoingly, continually. It's the last synonym I got. I only got three. But, but you know, as we submit ourselves to him, you know what he does? He guides you into all truth. He keeps you in the light. I love what he says here, because this really is a short, short period where he's not like sticking up for himself or defending himself. We're so, we're so quick to run to our own defense. But he recognizes the satanic assault that is upon his character to destroy the message that he had brought to change these people's lives and the negative impact it could have on a church if he didn't recall to their memory what they experienced with him for three weeks. Preaching the cross and the resurrection. That changed their lives, that birthed that church. And this is what he says. He, he says, because accusations are going to come. He says this, he says, you yourselves, brethren, you know. Okay? Our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain, okay? It was right off the heels of the Philippian jail, right? And, and, and that wasn't a vacation at all. Paul was beaten there. Silas was beaten with him. Their legs were spread apart as far as they could be, and they were locked in stocks. <coughs> they suffered wounds, all because they extracted and called out in the power of Jesus' name this demonic uh, being who was living inside this little girl that, that was like, a fortune teller almost, making her master's money. He says here, for you yourselves, brethren, know your entrance in unto you, our entrance into you, that it, that it was not in vain. When you hear something about a ministry, when you hear something about a pastor, draw upon your own experience. Not what you hear to be true, but what you've experienced to be true. Years ago, there was a guy that came here to visit this church. He lived local. And I just, that day, just felt led. I was just sharing some of the hysterical things I thought that people say about our church. You know, from having to show your W-4 forms before you can walk in the door, to the ATMs all over the place, to my $400,000 house, which is on sale for half today. <laughs> Amongst other things. And this guy was talking to somebody else in the church. He goes, I can't believe it. I heard every one of those things about this church. 
But you know what? He came in and drew from his own experience. No ATM. Didn't need to see his W-4s. I didn't have him over to my house, but I guarantee it's not worth 400 grand. So he's pleading with them, you know, our entrance in unto you, that it wasn't in vain. He says, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, okay, referencing that, you can look yourself, that's in Acts chapter 16, uh, at Philippi, we were bold to God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. You can't stop a guy like that. Here's the bottom line, everything that he went through in Philippi, he's trying to tell him, he goes, hey, look, think about what we endured for you. We could have quit right there, okay? God, you know, we start praising God, the earthquake comes, man, and, and we could have went exit stage right. I'm going back to sanity. I'm going back to my old hometown, man, and I'm just going to worship Jesus there privately and call it a day. But if Paul had that quit in him and didn't have that persevering spirit, that enduring spirit, because he appreciated Jesus Christ's sacrifice for him so much, God had given him a word. He wanted to operate in faith and obedience to his own personal calling. It kept him going. No quit in him. If he would have quit, we wouldn't have had 13 books in the Bible. We wouldn't have had 19 more chapters of the book of Acts if he quit and gave up. So he comes limping into town. <coughs> Sometimes we just got to look at it for what it is. He comes limping into town with fresh wounds all over him. For what? For a message that he would not stop preaching because people needed to hear it. Wouldn't stop. For obedience to a king that had done everything for him that had true substance and value. Matter of fact, writing this letter, he limps into town and then he has to run out of town <clears throat> for the three weeks he was there. That's what Paul, that's what Paul drew. So, so as we look at this, there was a reason why he did it. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel, the gospel of God. With much contention, with much affliction, at a price. I'm telling you, believer, we have to own personal responsibility today. When you look at the Bible, you need to recognize that our life should not have a mute switch. There should be no mute on our life as believers. We should be ready, like Peter tells us, to give an answer to those who ask of the hope that lies in us with meekness and fear. We're called to be ready. We're called to be responsible. We're going to see Paul took this as responsibility and future accountability, what he did with the good news of Jesus. I love it that you invite people to come to this church, but inviting people to this church isn't sharing the gospel. Telling people about Jesus Christ and what he did for you and what he did on the cross for them, that's sharing the gospel. 
So we see here that with his perseverance and his endurance, the bigger picture to him than an easy life, there was a bigger picture than a more comfortable life. I think for American Christianity, many times we can buy into the lie of this. If it's hard, if it's difficult, it must not be God. I think that if it's not hard and if it's not difficult, then that's probably not God. I thought, you know, what if Paul was here today to preach the church in America? What would he tell us? (laughs) Nothing different than what he's already told us. The truth doesn't change. So, as he was trying to explain to them all the suffering that he was willing to go through as he limps into town, that, that he was so concerned, they held so much value to him. I think, you know, we do this question and answer thing here at Gilead on Thursdays, and, and me and Harley and Justin, uh, Missy reads to us some questions the kids ask, and uh, we just, each one of us give our own perspective and biblical references of why we believe what we believe. Um, and, multitude of uh, subjects, but, but a lot of them lately has been about sharing your faith. And, and I think that's wonderful. But, you know, when it comes to sharing your faith, I see a couple qualifications in Paul the Apostle that I think needs to always be stoked in our own hearts. And we got to ask ourselves truly this question. With the value that people hold to God, how much value do they hold to you? And if the Bible teaches about a real paradise heaven in a real lake of fire called hell, or the lake of fire actually, which the worst part about the lake of fire is the total absence of God. If we really believe that, how's that impact in a way that we're sharing and showing Jesus Christ? He says here that We were bold to speak the gospel of God with much contention. All that affliction, it didn't matter. Perseverance or the lack thereof will tell us how much we value the gospel. Perseverance or a lack thereof will tell us really, truly, how much we value the gospel. The gospel drew contention, it drew conflict. The gospel drew persecution. That's what it did. But do you think for a moment there's a more important message than the world needs today than the good news of Jesus Christ? Some Christians are more excited over the hopes that they think Trump's coming back. I'd love to see him come back, but you know what? That's way down the list compared to them needing Jesus. He says here, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. So it wasn't error, it wasn't impurity, it wasn't deception. He knew its source, it was genuine, it was authentic, it was true. And what it did for him, the change it made in him, this is the one that his reputation was this. He which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith that he once destroyed. 
He knew the genuineness of it. There was no deception. There was no impurity. He met Jesus in a real way. God spoke his truth into this man's life, and it changed him forever. Changed him forever. He says, but we were allowed of God, allowed of God, privilege, okay? Now, now God has invested the treasure of the good news in these earthen vessels or jars of clay. He's invested that. For you who are saved today, God's put the treasure of truth in you. That it would be poured forth from us. He saw this as allowed. It was, a, it was permission of privilege. He says we're allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. He saw this as his responsibility. He owned this as personal accountability. You know, the Bible tells us this, that in stewards, okay, stewards, it, it, it's, it, it's required that we be found faithful. Oh, how God wants you and I to be faithful with the good news of Jesus. The message that saved us is the message that needs to be proclaimed from us. It's what people need to hear. He says, we speak. Even so, we speak. Not as pleasing, man. But God, which tries the heart, not being a man pleaser. Paul told us that in Galatians 1.10, for if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. If I'm looking to make everybody happy, so everybody's okay with me, it's going to limit or quench my ability to be a servant of what God's called my life to. We've been called to be living epistles, known and read of men. And when we see this here, he says this, God, to be put into a trust with the gospel, even so, we speak. We speak. I personally, I don't like that coin cliche that preach the gospel, and if needed, use words. I understand its concept. I understand its challenge. But the best that I can live in harmony with the word of God is nothing compared to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says we speak. This needs to be communicated. It needs to be vocalized. Sometimes it's going to come at a cost. When you share the gospel, people might avoid you. People might separate themselves from you. They might even speak evil about you. It might cost you friendships. It's cost me friendships. It might cost you close relationships. It divides parents from children and children from parents. It can even divide spouses. But the bottom line is, 
if we go through this life seeking to please one and letting the chips fall, how they may, we'll go through this life with no regrets. No regrets at all. We speak not as pleasing men, but God, which tests our, tries our hearts, he tests our hearts. How's he test my heart? Because sometimes he'll put us in a situation, he'll give us an opportunity, and he's, by the Spirit, he's speaking to our heart, and then we have the opportunity, am I going to please God in this situation, or am I going to please men? Am I going to open up my mouth and be vocal about the good news of Jesus Christ, or I'm going to be more worried that I might hurt their feelings? I'd rather hurt their feelings in love with the opportunity possibly to see them respond to a message that will cause them to not have to suffer for all of eternity than to walk away from that opportunity. God tests our hearts. Didn't he do that with Abraham when he told him to take his son up onto the mount and to offer him up? But Abraham, what did he do? He passed the test because you know what he did? As simple as this, he did what God said. He just did what God said. Old Paz Chapel here, us, sitting here today, man. This has the, this has the potential of a powder keg. When the Spirit of God lights up the people of God with the gospel of God, things happen. The church gets added to. The church multiplies. The church grows. Now all of a sudden, think of the potential and vision. Your friends now become your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not about making a bigger church. It's about reaching people bringing them to the grace of God, the love and the forgiveness of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says this, he, he, he goes, Neither at any time use we flattering words or insincere speech, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you. Paul said, we... We weren't looking for glory. You, you know a person's character in the church by who they're trying to glorify. And, and it's a real danger zone because a lot of times we want to glorify the instrument rather than the one that's behind the instrument using that instrument. We look at what John the Baptist said. He said that I would decrease that he would increase. We look at the book of Acts. We see Paul and Barnabas. They show up at Lystra, right? And they do a miracle. And all of a sudden, they want to hail them as gods. And these guys ripped their coats and they, they, they pointed them to the true and to the living of God, the maker of heaven and earth. They refused to touch the glory. Our lives are designed to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. In a life that wants the glory, you need to remember that's what Lucifer wanted. 
Over the years, I shared this a little bit yesterday, one of the greatest attributes I've, I see demonstrated in a believer's life today is the attribute of humility. And, and the attribute of humility or meekness shows me that that, that, that individual is yoked up with Jesus because he said, like, come, you know, yoke up with me, come and learn of me for I'm meek and I'm lowly at heart. Such a beautiful attribute. And it's not, you can't work for humility. You just yoke up to the humble one and he wears off on you. When we agree, Lord, revive gospel spreading through our lives here today. Help us to look for opportunities. Help us to be bold with a message that changes lives and changes eternities. Put some of that Paul fabric in us that is available through the Holy Spirit. So we didn't seek glory of men, neither of you, not glory outside the church, not glory inside the church, or anybody else. And, and that we, even that we might have been burdensome uh, as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children, or a nurse and mom taking care of her newborn. This church was newborn. There was spiritual births that took place there, and Paul was tender. You know the thing about a mom? There is nobody on earth that sacrifices more than a mom. Because it's all about the needs of that baby. It doesn't matter if it's midnight, one in the morning, two in the morning. It does not matter. The needs of that baby, the nourishment of that baby, the tenderness and the love invested into that baby, that's what that mom cares about. I'll never forget when the doctor told us when Joe was born that he had a hole in his heart. It went through me deep, but when I saw her, ho oh, ho, the love of a mother. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing and have imparted unto you not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls. We give you our lives because you're dear unto us. You're so dear. You hold so much value to us. Look, at if God, if God moves you to another area, you make sure you get plugged into a church that values who you are, where you're loved served, fed, nourished, that there's a care and a concern for who you are and you feel the, that because you're valued of God, you're valued by his church. I got a lot of people that, that are here today, they found their way to old paths because they were devalued in the church that they came from. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our travail and labor night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. Paul had work ethics. He wasn't there just to make money. Let's take another love offering. You know, we had guest speakers the other day. I, I you know, we gave him a little financial love offering and, and he's like, man, I didn't want that. Of course you didn't want it. That's why we're giving it to you. Because of the sincerity of your heart, humility of your heart. 
Paul says, look it, I'm here. I'll take care of myself. You know, I'm so glad, man. If times get tough, it's run through my mind. I don't care. I'm going to still be a pastor even if I got to go back to work and pull wires. I don't care. I'll do that. I'm so thankful you got, you got three pastors on staff drawing a check from this church right now, but I'll tell you what, all three of those pastors are, are, are willing to work. We've talked about it before. Hey, things get tough, we'll just go back to work and keep the ministry going. That's the way Paul was. <laughs> uh, the biggest Calvary chapel in this country, unfortunately, the, the pastor fell. And I, I talked to somebody, and obviously I'm not mentioning any names, but I talked to somebody and, uh, that was at a rehab with him and he says, it's amazing. Part of this rehab is to labor, to do work. And he said, anytime it was time to work, he would just strike up all these conversations because he had the gift of gab so he could get out of doing work. <laughs> just showed his character. Not Paul. Paul says, I'll make tents. I'll shovel rocks. I'll do whatever I got to do. You're witnesses of God, also how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as you know how we exhorted and we comforted and we charged every one of you as a father does his children. So he goes from that heart of that mother now to the heart of a father. In the heart of a father, he's a provider, he's a protector. But I'll tell you this about a godly dad. He wants far better for his children than for himself. When it comes to my prayers for my kids, I want them to accomplish way more for the kingdom of God than I have. I want them to be way more glorifying to Jesus Christ than I am. The father is the one that sets the example. Paul, right here of a father, we know that throughout the Bible. Paul's view was Timothy, Titus, and Nisimus. They were his sons in the faith. He looked after them as a spiritual father. He says, don't forget. When these people come in and they're going to lie about our character, they're going to cause you to doubt our integrity. Don't forget by experience, we were tender with you like a mother and we took care of you like a dad. I think you could say, if false accusations knock on your door, send your integrity to answer it. Let the chips fall. I shared with you before, man, I've, I've been in situations, false accusations, it just goes with the territory of being a Christian, being a pastor, or being a gospel preacher. 
but I never go around defending myself. I'm like, they know. People know me. Let them figure it out. Let them figure out what they know about me. I'm as imperfect as the next person, but I operate in biblical integrity by the grace of God. I want to finish that way too. And you need to pray for us is, is leadership here that, that, that God would continue just to cause us to walk in, in the light and in integrity, you know, for, for the good of you, the flock of God here at Old Paz. Because <clears throat> we're as weak as the next guy. And this is what he says, that you would walk worthy, walk worthy of God. You know, scriptures like that, they, they really challenge us, Okay. We're living in dangerous times, prophetically, spiritually. That we would walk worthy. Is it lip service or lifestyle? When Jesus was here, he presented to the people that were there to hear his teaching he quoted the Old Testament book of Isaiah and he said, these people do honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And, and, and you look at things like that and, and you can't say that's for the next guy. That's where we got to look within. And really ask myself, am I walking worthy? The, the person that other people perceive me to be this morning, is that really the person I am? Is that the person I was Friday night? Is that the person I'm going to be tomorrow at work as I'm singing and praising God and amening and, and, and all? Is that who I am? Am I walking worthy? He says, walk worthy of God who has called you, don't forget that privilege, before the foundation of the world, he's called you, you've been hand-selected, hand-picked, that should feel very special. That should really create a lot of appreciation. That I get to walk with Jesus Christ on earth and spend my eternity face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ in heaven. But he's called you unto his kingdom, unto his kingdom, not this kingdom, unto his kingdom. Kingdom living, what does that mean? That means, I like Tony Evans' uh, definition of, of what it is to be a kingdom citizen. It's, it's those who live under divine authority, who live under the word of God. That what this says goes. Not by my striving, but, but by, by his spirit at work in me. So unto his kingdom and glory. So, so we've got to live a little bit farsighted. We've got to be able to see beyond the present and to live today for what's going to matter a hundred years from now. Turn to Isaiah 53 with me.
that we'd walk worthy. We're exhorted by John the Apostle to walk in the light as he's in the light. We're exhorted in the next chapter of First John, chapter, that was chapter 1, chapter 2, says we're to walk as he walked. Speaks of our conduct of life. Speaks about our lifestyle. In the midst of our imperfection and falling short from time to time, is my life in sync with the Scriptures? Because truly, our belief will manifest itself in our behavior. And this church was saturated by the fact that at any moment they could be face-to-face with Jesus. Any moment. Because one of the main rapture passages of the church being snatched away, we're going to find in chapter 4. And that's the way they lived. They lived on the precipice of going home at any moment. And it affected how they lived. Because we're not going to get to the verse today because it was their belief that reflected their behavior. What you believe is going to affect really how you behave. But in Isaiah 53, you know, yesterday uh, we started the retreat off with Galatians 2.20, where Paul says he's been crucified with Christ, nevertheless he lives, yet not him, but Christ lives in him, the life that he now lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God who loves me. Think about that right now, okay? Jesus loves you. Paul would always write to the we, us, but few times, I can't even think of any other times, he says here, who loves me. Paul's teachings were always generalized out to the church as a whole, always congregationalized, but this one personalized. He loves me, and he gave himself for me. So we're trying to see what keeps someone like this from not throwing in the towel. Simply this, the love of Christ at the cross for him. We started our retreat with that verse yesterday and we ended it with communion. We're going to be taking communion uh, right now. But look at Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Couple things. I think this is the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the one that was part of the conversation of the Trinity. Let us make man in our own image. This is the one that said, of all the trees of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of that because in that day you'll die. And after they ate of it, this is the one that came back and said, Adam, where art thou? What have you done? Not mad and yelling, broken-hearted father. Broken-hearted father for a foolish choice that had consequences. He had no idea was attached to it that you and I suffer from today. So I believe that, that part of 
Being a man of sorrows was seeing the result of the fall, the lepers he came across, the blind that he came across, the stoning of people who were living in sexual immoral sin. At one time, Jesus healed somebody and he looked into the heavens and he sighed. <sighs> Wonder if it ran through his mind. Not what I planned, not what I intended. But I think the greatest thing about him being a man of sorrows is when he looked over Jerusalem and he wept. He sobbed with convulsion because he was their deliverer. He was the Messiah. He was the savior of the Old Testament prophecies and they rejected him and they had no idea the cost and the consequences it laid ahead. 40 years later, the city would be destroyed and many of the people killed. They didn't see it coming. And I'm telling you today, if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ being your Lord and Savior and turn from your sins and make him your Lord and Savior, he weeps for you. He weeps for you because just like in Jerusalem in the book of Luke, you have no idea the eternal ramifications and the consequences that lay ahead if you reject him. And being indifferent to him is rejecting him. And it's not just acknowledging him in your mind as Lord and Savior, but it's turning from your sins and asking him in to be your Lord and Savior. Because of this, surely he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded. Look at for us, for us. That the brutalizing of the cross was because of you, because of me, because of how you failed this week, because of how I'm going to fail this week. He was wounded for those transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement was upon, of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, look at we get the healing. We get healed, eternally healed. If that doesn't do something to our heart, you know, we need to repent because it was the greatest act of love ever demonstrated. And like Paul said, for me, he did that for me. And this is what communion is today. We, we, we eat the cracker. We remember his body broken on that cross. We take the juice. We remember that his blood was shed to cover our sins. This is the lamb without blemish. He didn't go there for anything he did. He went there for what we did. All we like sheep, we've gone astray. Amen? Boy, I hate being a sheep. They're so dumb and weak and get into trouble. Not that you're dumb, I'm dumb. We've turned everyone to his own way. Oh yeah, we like things our way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every one of us. Every sin that was committed outwardly 
every sin that was committed inwardly, every wrong, evil thought, every wrong, evil deed, everything in between. Jesus said, I'm going to pay for you because I love you. Because I created you with a purpose and that purpose was to get saved and to know me and to spend forever with me. The gospel that Paul fought for is the gospel I attempt to convey to you that the disease of sin needs to be acknowledged and repented of and recognized that God provided his son as the payment for your sin. Because he loves you. And I believe the thought of you spending eternity apart from him creates great distress in his heart. And Christ went to that cross to be impaled there and proclaim, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's where forgiveness comes from. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm not one of the ways. I am the way. There is no other way. I'm glad you come to church here, but it's not going to mean anything unless you've come to Christ. And I want to invite you and encourage you that if you haven't done that, that today is the day of your salvation. Don't procrastinate with the most important decision that you can ever make in your life because it determines where you spend your eternity. You need Jesus. To acknowledge your sin. Even before we take communion today, to acknowledge your sin. To turn from it. It's repentance. And to recognize that Christ is a gift that needs to be received. To ask him to come into your life, come into your heart and to be your personal Lord and Savior. And he will do that. The cross and the resurrection changes lives. It did here at Thessalonica and the word and the truth and the message and the act of Christ just as powerful as it is today. He changes lives. He changes eternities. And we're here to celebrate that today. So we're going to take communion today. And as you sit, it's a good time just to reflect in our heart, to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, not a faith, but the faith, not a faith we came up with, but a faith that tells us what Christianity is, what discipleship is in the Bible. there's anything stern within that you've got to get right with God, it's a great time to do it because God wants you to leave encouraged with a clean slate. Ready for a new week. Ready to share the gospel. Ready to live the gospel. Recognizing that the key to lost people's lives lives inside of me. It needs to come out of me. I didn't get saved in 1994 because people were just living like Christians because they were telling me the truth and living like Christians. They're telling me about Christ. By the grace of God, may he extract any gospel mute switch and may it never find its way back into our life. Father, we thank you that you love us. 
We thank you that you're a loving and a forgiving God. We thank you that you give us the gift to repent. And I pray, Father, maybe somebody's visiting here, or maybe they've been coming to church here for years. Lord, you alone know the heart. But maybe this is the moment. Take all that sin, take all that junk we've been lugging around with us our whole life and to bring it to you so that it would be cast into the sea of your forgetfulness to the depths of the sea put behind your back never to be remembered anymore as far as the east is from the west. That they can begin a new life and a new relationship in you, Jesus. Thank you. It's your blood that made us family. It's your blood that built this church on the truth of your word, Lord. It's your blood that is sufficient enough to forgive us of all of our sins. May we each have renewed gratitude and it would show itself that gratitude would show itself in lives walking worthy of you for your kingdom, for your glory. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.